Hi, I'm Jacqueline Shepherd, and you're listening to Taking the Leap. LEAP is an acronym for Listen, Equip, Action and Patience. And the conversations on the podcast are based around this concept with people who themselves have taken the leap. It's a fact that the higher up the career ladder you climb, the less diverse it becomes. Of the 500 CEOs on the Fortune 500 list, only 24 are currently women. That's just 5%, and that's as a result of a 25% drop in 2018. While I'm impressed with the women who have made that list, there are none that look remotely like me, which speaks on the challenges that black women specifically face when advancing their career. In this episode, I speak to Andrea Gordon. Andrea is a black woman who I think deserves to be celebrated. Despite experiencing doors literally being slammed in her face, she has now found her voice as the global head of communications for TravelX, and in our chat, describes how despite moments of imposter syndrome, she's equipped herself to overcome challenges, to put into action being the narrator of her own story, and the importance of patience. I can see her becoming a CEO very soon. Enjoy. Andrea, welcome. Thank you for the intro, (laughs) Jacqueline. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And I have to say, when we met, I think we've been on each other's radar Mm. through mutual friends for a while. Mm. And we've been you know, probably in the same environment on a few occasions. But the last time we met, I feel like we really connected. Mm. And that was when I got to learn a bit more about who you are, what you do, and some of the experiences you've had. And I had just launched this podcast and I was thinking, right, Andrea, I've got to get her on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really pleased that you agreed to um, to join me. Mm. Just talking about CEOs and women in top positions, Mm -hmm. are you surprised by those numbers or is that something that you're well aware of? No, I'm not surprised at all, which Mm. is really sad. I mean, there was even something I read, I think it was in the New York Times, um, that there's something called the glass cliff where Mm. women who actually do become CEOs don't get supported. So they're in those positions for less than two years and then they they fall back down again. Mm. And that's really sad because actually, you know, when, you know, I've been going, as you say, up the ladder. God, it's really weird to even say that. Mm. Um, but I look for role models. Mm. And, you know, when there's hardly any female role, female role models in terms of, like, CEO, or even at board level, mm. you know, let's be real here, yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. really hard even seeing women on, mm. on the board. Um, yeah, I feel really sort of, um, yeah, I, it's, it's something that's really sad that there's no network for women and Mm. them to feel supported so no I'm not really surprised by those numbers I really hope in my lifetime that they will increase and there'll Mm. there'll be a steady increase um, in terms of women just being in positions but being there because they they are more than capable of doing it not just being there because oh the company's hit a crisis so therefore let's put a woman in there and Mm. then oh then the business doesn't do very well oh blame the woman you know so um, we just need to break down those barriers those those boys networks you know because it's, it's interesting because you know if you're in a you know a FTSE listed company or in a limited company um the boys have their own network and people go oh you know it's very typical mm. to say that but actually if you think about it if you're doing well and you know you know you have sort of uh, mentees that you know that you're encouraging to be be you know, to kind of go through to go through that journey mm. um 
they're likely to be boys if you're a, if you're a senior man so if you're in in that senior position so then you therefore encourage your own network and if yeah. that network is is are you know is a close group of, of men or whatever then it's very easy for them to transition into those roles mm. whereas women don't really have that yeah um so i just hope that you know you know we can encourage more women to 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 be in those positions but always to be in those circles of influence so people know their capabilities not just there on paper yeah and and it's really interesting what you say about the glass cliff I've never heard that expression before but that speaks true then of why there was such a significant drop-off in in 2018 Mm. so from the sounds of the stats which I read and I I kind of I'm I'm sort of doubting but I got it from Fortune mm. itself. Um, so it, it's five percent at the moment of women make up that Fortune 500 list of CEOs, and that dropped by 25 percent in 2018. That's a massive drop, Absolutely. but it speaks to exactly what you've just said—the mm. lack of support mm. um, and you know being in a position for a short m- length of time due to a number of circumstances. Mm. It might be completing a tenure, but then what a shame that there aren't other people who are stepping into tenures who also happen to be women, and so that level doesn't Absolutely. go down, mm. it remains the same or increases and mm. starts to balance out. Wow, what a position to be in. Mm. Um, We'll talk about how you got to where you are in, at the moment, but mm-hmm. in some of the positions that you've had on the way to where you where you are, um, is this reflective of the environment you've been in? Very male dominated, would oh, you yeah. say? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah absolutely. Um, um, my the company I'm in at the moment, I mean, I mean, I feel very encouraged, and mm. I've really found my voice in that company. Yeah. Um, but in previous roles, um, it's been a very old boys network. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time I went in for um, to present on behalf of the comms team um, our plan and also to increase our budget. And um, I walked into the boardroom, and the door got shut in my face. Mm. And um, and I and I had to knock on the door again. And then one of the board directors was like, "Yes, can I help you?" And I was like, "Oh, um, I'm here to present um, this this presentation, blah blah, and all this." And then he was like, "Oh God, okay, fine, we'll come in then." And wow, uh, yeah. And like, and wow. then and then like everyone. And what was really sad it was like there was about six other people in that room, women, mm. and not one of them was like, "Oh, actually, that tone was a little bit off." And then they all sat there, and they were like, mm, "Some, you know, were agreeing, some weren't." And mm-hmm. uh, um, then they started asking me all these questions, like really sort of petty uh, questions that I knew that if uh, a, a white counterpart had been in place mm-hmm. of me, they would not have um, asked those questions. And I kind wow. of, felt, I kind of felt like. I was like, you don't even know what the answer is for yeah. this. For this, so I don't know why you're pressing me so hard on this. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I, I, yeah, I really like equipped myself and prepared yeah. and was like, you know, if I get any of these difficult questions, this is how I'm going to answer it. And then I kind of walked out of the room and I just felt so exhausted. What was Bless like you. a 15 minute presentation? Yeah. I was just like, oh my goodness, this, this is absolutely crazy. But then I realised actually that's what I have to do all the time. Yeah. Like when I grew up, my parents. Um, you know, made my sister and I very focused. They were like, Andrea, Deborah, you've got to work twice as hard as your friends because if not, you're just going to be the bottom of the pile. Let's talk about that then. Mm. Let's 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 dig into your your upbringing. Mm-hmm. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in Finchley, mm-hmm. so it's quite a Jewish area. Yeah, in North London, um, wasn't many people of colour there. Yeah. But luckily, I didn't really face much racism at school. Mm-hmm. We were quite embracing of cultures, like through primary school and yeah. secondary school. Was your school quite diverse or not really? 
kind of yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean there were there were people of all sort of nationalities there yeah. and yeah it was it's quite typical of london, yeah, of london exactly school then. Yeah. yeah but growing up in the sort of late 80s i think i was probably on the cusp of change mm-hmm. of you know when, when different um cultures and and fam- nationalities were coming into the area right, got that mm. and so what do you, what did your parents do so my dad um, is a retired Baptist minister. Mm-hmm. So yes, I'm quite a religious girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mum was a uh, ward sister mm-hmm. in hospital. Okay. Yeah. And so you said then that they they really encouraged you. Mm. So was that based on the experiences they had had? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. When they when they came over to the UK in the 60s, 70s, yeah. I I think they they faced a lot of adversity, a yeah. lot of racism, and I think that you know, for them, they were kind of like, well, I don't want our kids to to experience what we're going through. Mm. So we can only give them the tools and the experience to say, actually, this is what happened to us, but you can do better. Because mm. they knew, like, you know, they moved over from Jamaica. They knew they had to make a life for themselves. Yeah. They couldn't go back and be like, I failed. Mm. Because, you know, that back then... England was like, oh my god, the pinnacle of doing well and success. It's either you, you would go to England or you, you'd go to the States. Mm. So they knew they had to work hard and they knew they had to be successful. Mm. And I, I really felt they drummed that into us. Yeah. yeah. And so that message then, you have to work, essentially you have to work twice mm-hmm. as hard. And that was based on just even just simply walking into the room before people have even heard the, you know, the measure, the mark of you because of the content of what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. As black women, we're judged immediately. So having that kind of strong message is is so important. Mm. How has that ability to listen and how has that guided you throughout what you've done? You mentioned just there that you're quite a religious girl. So I was going to ask you, would you say that when you listen, it's instinct, it's faith, it's intuition, or it's all of the above? How does listen work out? I think it's kind of a mixture of, of everything really Mm. my faith is really important Mm -hmm. and sometimes when you're facing battles um you know you really have to listen to and have that patience in order to make the right decisions yeah I think as a communicator listening is such a powerful tool Mm. I've always been I've I've been told um in the past that Andrea you know you know you're you're quite a reflector and that's a bad thing and you Mm. know that you know when you're in meetings you listen a lot but you're not actually inputting much etc and and I was like, actually, I listen because I can see, I can listen to how the conversation is going. I can then augment my messaging mm. to then bring a solution rather than just making my voice heard for the sake of it. Yeah. And um, and then they kind of was like, oh, actually, I hadn't really thought of it like that. And mm. I said, yeah, because you're one of those people that will literally overpower a conversation. And actually, end of the day, all I care about is getting things done mm. and making making sure it's efficient, making sure it's clear, making sure that people understand what we're trying to say as a business or who we are. So. Listening is is a great. It's such. It's probably one of my strongest points that mm-hmm. I really feel so. Yeah, just so empowered by because I just, I just know the change that I can see when when I use when I listen. I think it's um it's really great to hear you speak on that because actually we have become such a fast paced culture where we don't listen we don't sit back for long enough and just take a moment and reflect on what's being said half if not more of communication I guess is listening yeah when you were younger were there any ways in which your interest in communications presented itself I think because my dad was a a Baptist minister and you know I suppose he'd always be presenting Mm. so I always liked 
being like, oh, actually, I like to present or uh, or or really project my voice, mm. and and I and to I suppose um, people listening to me, mm. realizing that actually when I project at the right level, people are actually engaging in mm. what I say, mm. and I suppose. Maybe those those were sort of slight elements to Definitely. to me being a communicator. Mm. Also, I love people. Mm. I love hearing stories. And sometimes, you know, you you'll hear a story and you'll think, oh my gosh, no one's listen, no one's listened to that. Mm. Um, so how do I encourage someone to listen to that powerful story? And that's probably why I'm in communications because it's great when people think, oh yeah, you're head of communications. All you do is just work with the senior leadership mm. and then just just broadcast messages out so that people on the front line just sort of catch it mm. um and it's like well no I believe in bottom up I mean the one of the, the best lessons I learned when I was working for lay party was grassroots politics mm. you know understanding what people are saying and then framing um, the communications or a campaign around that mm-hmm. okay so you mentioned the labor party mm-hmm. um what are some of the other significant moments then that you've had which have equipped you to get to this position mm-hmm. so the labor party being one you mm-hmm. worked with them for six years mm-hmm. um you were the regional organizer there mm-hmm. um tell us a little bit about that because i know you really enjoyed that role yeah it's probably one of the best roles i've ever had because it was so varied i was in my 20s when i started there and basically i was managing campaigns on like a local level uh, general election european um, level and it was such a great experience it was so varied no one day was the same i learned so much i was so stretched i mm. was um it was so fast-paced and and it really formed where I am today. So you had a really great learning experience there that equipped you significantly for where you are now. Are there any other points uh, throughout your career that you think actually that was a really big lesson that I needed to learn and that's also helped to equip me? I I suppose it wouldn't be big lessons I think it's it's kind of the smaller part so for example in previous roles I've worked through the night to do a presentation and then for the next day I'm about to present and then my boss will then take over that presentation mm. for me mm. and before I'd be like well it's okay because I'm not senior when I get to be that position and therefore that's what I need to do but actually you talk to other people about it and they go no Andrea that's not right your boss should not be presenting on your behalf yeah. with you being there um, so it's kind of little things like that mm. that, that have made me realise actually no that's not right and actually I feel quite devalued and demotivated because yeah. I've put all, the, put all the work in and actually that's not given me a profile mm. so for example in that instance I wasn't getting um, access to the senior leadership because they'd be like well actually your boss has done this work mm. not you so mm. why, why are you in the conversation mm. and that's a lesson that I've learned because I've like well actually I need I need to be more visible I need to have those circles of influence say actually Andrew you are doing that work I always say to people in my direct reports you know narrate your own story mm-hmm. um, because no one's going to do that apart from yourself yeah I can only help you so far and in, in my own circles of influence I can then you know elevate you up but actually you've got to narrate your own yeah so. I love that I love that you talked about the time where you had the door shut in your face, mm-hmm. which was something that I um, had made a note to ask you about. Mm. Um, and you kind of touched on it, but I want to unpack it a bit more mm-hmm. in terms of mentally equipping yourself mm. to step into rooms where you immediately, not only is it the, there are no women that look like you, mm. but there are there are no women, <laughs> full stop. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's a very male-dominated industry or environment simply because of the seniority that you have. Mm. So how do you mentally equip yourself? Um, I think, so for me, I have mentors and they will always say to me, Andrea, know your self-worth. Mm-hmm. So when you go into a really tough decision, you are the expert. 
you know, you're the subject matter expert, they aren't. So you just got to break it down really simply. And if they talk over you, if they ask you really awkward questions, then actually you just take a breath, you just, you know, collect your thought, what, you know, what works for you. And then you then, you know, and then you can present yourself and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, I know that in the beginning, I used to, when I used to do presentations or have meetings or whatever, I would allow people to ask, to ask questions during my presentation. Mm. And I realized that threw me off. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, okay, we're going to answer, we're going to have question sessions at the end, but I'm going to go through my, my presentation and then just go through it section by section and just work the room. Um, I, I remember during that time where I had the door slammed in my face and um, I remember at the time I hadn't actually spoken to any of the board members before the meeting so I always try now to get consensus mm-hmm. so, I, so I know that if I was to um, calculate oh how many people are going to agree with this this you know, with my funding proposal or any proposal I'm putting forward then I've got a majority on the mm-hmm. board that's going to agree with it and that's a lesson that I actually learned from, uh, from that mm. and um, it's funny when you really go into it you don't realise like how you were feeling at that time yeah. so it's like it's like kind of blocked it out from like 10 years ago oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no so it's really yeah so in terms of mentally preparing myself I just I know what I need to do I always think of the end goal mm. and I have to deliver it sometimes you know I might rush through things in order just to get it over and done with mm. but um, it's really it's just really tough mm. Mm. so it is tough yeah and and but the thing is I think what what's valuable is admitting that it's quite it's quite difficult for me to speak on this Mm. that's quite empowering because you're actually helping to empower other people by Mm. sharing some of that you know Mm. some of that discomfort in a way Mm. um i think as a society again we like and particularly British people, that whole kind of stiff upper yeah. lip thing. We don't like to admit that things uh, have been have been difficult. Mm. So, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. I mean, you you kind of just touched on it. That must have been awful for you, having a door shut in your face. Mm. And I understand that recently, around the time of International Women's Day, was mm. the first time really that you spoke out about yeah. that experience. Yeah. How did it feel sharing that experience for the first time among people that were peers as well as, you know, just other people? To be really honest, I was really emotional afterwards. Not in terms of, uh, like, crying or anything like that, but I, I, I felt so vulnerable, you know, because mm. I was opening out, opening myself out to, like, the CEO, senior leadership, mm. and about 100 other colleagues. Um, and I remember I was just... Yeah, I was so vulnerable then. I let, and I allowed myself to be like that because mm. normally I'm, you know, I'm quite, I'd say I'm quite professional. So um, mm, and I'm you quite, are, you're <laughs> very professional. Yeah. Um, so I'll be like there talking, quite bubbly, this that, and the other. And then I, you know, I was like, actually, in order for this message to land, I need to be quite raw mm. and say this is actually the experience that I've that I've had. So, for example, the door slamming in my face. I mean, I was in my mid twenties when that happened. I remember I went for an interview in my in maybe like yeah late twenties. And and I'd fully prepared with the agency what I was going to say, my experience. Mm-hmm. I remember I took my um, my little portfolio, so I had all like the magazines that I'd been working on and the the plans that I wanted to that I that I'd worked on and I've executed in mm. my in my previous roles. And I was like, yeah, I had prepared myself for that interview. Walked in, sat down, and um, these two ladies kind of looked at me and were like oh okay um so tell me a little bit, a bit about yourself and I was like mm. okay so I was like so this is me and blah 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 and, blah, blah. and um they just looked at me and they were like yeah um the position's filled yeah your agency your, wow. a- your agency should have told you that 
And I was like, well, why did you allow me to sit down mm. and like go through everything? You know, mm. literally like I had my, my folder and I was there going, you know, this, this is what I've got to present. And they were like, no, mm. no, sorry. So I walked out and I was like, okay, I'm going to compose myself. I'll go to the toilet, compose myself and I'll walk out. And as I was walking out, there was someone else in waiting mm. about to go into the interview room. Mm. And I was just like, oh my goodness. And I remember I... Went during lunchtime while I was mm. <laughs> while I was working, mm. and I had to compose myself to to work that afternoon. Then I left early because I said to my boss, "I'm not feeling very well." And I went to see my parents, and literally I bawled my eyes out mm. in front of my mum. I was like, "Oh my god, mum, I can't believe this has happened. Mm. Um, I've worked so hard, and so, and someone's just looked at me and just gone, no, you're not the right fit.'" Yeah, and and actually I've faced that so many times. Like mm. you go for a really good interview, and they're just like, "Sorry, you're not the right cultural fit." It's like, what does what actually does that mean? Wow. That's bold. Mm. And it's something, yeah, I, I, I always think, you know, being a, a person of colour, I celebrate that. You yeah. know, I celebrate diversity. And in some ways, you know, sometimes when you are in these environments, you do stand out. Mm. They might not say that to you, but mm. if they were like, oh, do, you know, do you remember a girl called Andrea? They'd be like, oh, yeah, that was that lady, mm. blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it has its yeah. advantages. Yeah. But I, you know, there has been a lot of struggle going up because mm. literally they're like mm, I don't know if you'd fit into the team sorry mm. Mm. But, but good luck with your with your with your career you're like okay thanks <laughs> it's just um the the ignorance I don't know if you'll fit into the team but again it's not having heard the content of what you have to say or anything like that uh-huh. and and I imagine because I I have experienced it it's it's called a microaggression because mm. it is micro you don't need to have the person doesn't need to have said anything, mm. but just it's a slight look or slight wince or whatever, mm. and you know, oh wow, okay, it's going to be one of those yes. conversations. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one of those conversations. Now that you're where you're at, mm-hmm. how are you trying to sort of put into action an environment where it is inclusive, it is diverse, it is what you would like to be kind of stepping into if you were coming up? Are you in a position to be able to do that? Um, yes, I would. I would like to think I, I would be. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really lucky um, in my company at the moment. We have a global head of diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. and you know the poli- not policies, but like we're trying to transform the culture um, within Travelex, and it's work. It's just it's so it's so encouraging to mm. be in that environment, um, and actually, you know, you know, talking about like unconscious bias, but looking at different elements of how we could, how we all impact each other and so you know having that ability to like call out something you know because mm. I'm we're all guilty of it sometimes we see something and we're like oh actually uh, you know that's actually uncalled for but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do anything about mm. it mm. and then feeling guilty afterwards for not saying anything so I'm, I feel really lucky that I'm in a company that really embraces d and I and I know if I see something that I don't like I will call it out to yeah. senior leaders even if that means that I'm that could impact the way that I'm portrayed with other yeah yeah Mm. are you seeing the fruits of your labor yet oh that's that's a really tough one Mm. I think I'm quite harsh on myself so I don't know whether whether I'd always be happy Mm. in that sense because Mm. I, I recently I was interviewing for a position in my team and I was like, you know, um, people say that, you know, I'm, you know, a, a senior leader, you know, blah, 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 mm. or, or a position of leadership in the company. And um, and I was like, oh, I don't see myself as a leader. Mm. And and I was like, actually, that's actually quite sad mm. um, that I still have that view. But I don't know. I think I, 
I'm in an environment now where you know I'm networking a lot more. Um, I'm really proud of my successes. Yeah. And I will always say to people who you know not necessarily in my team, but in just conversations I'm having, to be you know to be really encouraging of each other, but actually if things aren't going well then you know say something talk to somebody about mm. it because more more times out of anything they would have experienced something quite similar yeah and like actually it's getting that advice yeah and actually in addition to that it's not all on you mm. you know I think often as as black people in a position suddenly we're turned to to have all of the solutions yeah and we're not the the issue actually we know how things should be mm. it's down to other people to be in a scenario where they're equipping themselves yeah. with the tools and the knowledge and understanding mm. um, and they're kind of looking outside of their um, I don't know the image of them to, mm. to look for the next best thing so to speak yeah. so I ask about fruits of your labour but actually I also appreciate that it takes a takes a village yes absolutely <laughs> absolutely okay so essentially we've gone through of, um, of the action mm. Um, and I know patience resonates with you mm. as well. Talk to me about patience, what that means to you. I think it's just allowing yourself to evaluate a situation that could be moving roles or or just or even if you're going if you're going for a difficult situation at work, you know, having the patience to like kind of take a step back, assess the situation and then act on what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Or if it's so for example, before I moved into this role, um, I remember my um old company was going through a lot of restructuring and people were like, Andrew, you need to go, you need to go mm-hmm. because you know, you, you know, your career's gonna fail here, et cetera, et cetera. And I was just like, No, I don't feel this is actually the right time for me mm-hmm. and and then you see all these wonderful colleagues like leaving and stuff and you're like actually why am I here mm-hmm. and then I could have jumped into the next you know, the first job I got offered but I was like no I don't think that's right for me and actually you know, it took me six months to find the, this role um, but I'm glad I took that time mm-hmm. because I just found a company that's really um, encouraging for me yeah. and actually understands what I'm going through mm. where I want to be and yeah and that that that's quite a hard skill to have yeah and and what I loved about the the chat that we had when we first got to properly talk was the support that you got from your I I believe I'm not sure if it's line manager I'm not sure if that's a correct title but when you spoke about the challenges that you had experienced experienced when you decided to be very open and vulnerable Mm, mm. and rather than it being okay so now a wall's going up she feels like that quick close down the door shut the window (laughs) actually it helped to open up a line of communication yeah and I think kind of being patient with yourself and allowing yourself to to release in that way Mm. um what what a brilliant thing to have done yeah it was it was challenging because I hadn't realized it until I was going through the motions of mm. it and after I'd finished I was on the panel with my with my line manager and um she was like oh my goodness Andrea this is like really amazing mm. and it's great and actually by being vulnerable other people were then vulnerable about exactly. their own situations exactly. and that opened up a whole debate you know about paternity leave and all, mm. and all this. it was just it was a it was such an amazing forum um mm. that we had um and then afterwards people came up to me at my desk because I was just then going through all the emotions in my head after like sitting down and uh, people came up to me and like yeah I've experienced exactly mm-hmm. what, what what you've gone through and uh, you know yeah this is how this is the way that it made me feel I got loads of emails from people saying oh, wow. uh, Andrea I find you an inspiration blah blah and then I was getting even more emotional because I was there thinking oh my god I didn't realize I had that impact mm. you know or I didn't realize that people would actually listen to to what I had to say and find that really valuable mm. um yeah it was I yeah it was a real learning curve for mm. me and an experience so yeah 
before I get you to sum up your leap, what's um, something which has kind of come into my mind a couple of times when you've been speaking? Because you are brilliant. You're doing some brilliant things. No, but you, do you, would you think it's fair to say that you have imposter syndrome a little bit? Oh, definitely. My, yeah. my mentor says that yeah. all the time. She's like, Andrea, you need, you are an expert in this. Yeah. Um, you know, and, I, and she goes, you definitely have imposter syndrome. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't really know. Where, where that comes from maybe that's another session that we can have uh, yeah, but, yeah. but um I, I don't know I think it's because I have a lack of role models professionally like yeah. personally mm-hmm. I, I have loads of role models yeah professionally I don't have that so I don't know whether I'm doing it right or not mm. um and I'm I only act on the feedback that I get yeah so um yeah I that's guess. so true that really is a moment yeah because I I, I I totally get that mm. I totally get that if you can't if it's that thing isn't it if you haven't seen yourself doing it before and by yourself not you physically but mm. yeah it's very difficult to then imagine you doing that to mm. you if we we understand and relate to what goes before us but if what goes before us has never been anything remotely similar to us mm. yeah we in that situation may feel like an imposter yeah mm. So I appreciate why or where that comes from, mm. and I I look forward to you embracing and not <laughs> and not not feeling like that because I don't know if you've read the Shonda Rhimes book The Year of Yes, no. um, but you should mm. you should read it. And um, she talks about being in a these ten top women in entertainment or in TV or something something major put on by the New York Times and all of these women were in this room um, women like yourself who have achieved success they're there to be celebrated and she said that the one thing they all had in common was every time their accolades were read out a bit like how I did to you and a bit like the reaction you had actually (laughs) when their accolades were read out they knew they were there to get an award but they would all kind of go a bit coy, kind of laugh it off and um, and almost kind of undermine what had just been said about them and then they'd go and connect. And this, and she was saying, I'm in a room full of powerful women who've achieved this and yet we're all kind of diminishing ourselves mm. because I think it is something about being a woman. Mm. And, and, you know, if there were men in that position, I can't oh, imagine God, them no. doing that no. same thing. Not. So I implore you to... Just accept the praise. <laughs> accept the praise and read that book mm, as well. I will Shonda do. Rhimes, Year of Yes. So can you sum up what LEAP means to you? So listen, equip, action, patience. Do you have a summary? This is really significant for me because you get to know the full story, the, mm-hmm. uh, the full picture of what you're dealing with. Um, for me in my role, by listening, I get to make sensible decisions that ha- can have a really big impact right and for me that's really important in my role really yeah, yeah and then equipping how about mentally equipping or equipping yourself to go forth I would always say in terms of equipping it's important to find peers that will support you mm-hmm. find yourself a mentor um, celebrate your diversity whether it is being just a not just a woman but being a woman mm. a person of colour um, if you feel isolated you know get yourself involved like get yourself involved in networks mm. um, train yourself you know always do your research um, it's important to equip because those are the skills that you fall on when you when, when you're yeah when you're facing bad times or you're facing sort of struggles yeah. or battles and how about um, taking action like what has enabled you to just go for it and take action 
I think it's looking at both my failures and my success. Mm-hmm. It's easier to ignore your failures when, um, when, you've, you know, when you've gone through quite a few battles, but actually it's those failures that, that make you stronger mm. and, and that's what you learn from and that's how you sort of um, embrace as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, as, as I said before, you know, everyone has their own story find those circles of influences within your company or within your you know, your personal and your professional life mm. that will champion you find mm. your own those champions because if by connecting and collaborating with people you are your own success yeah yeah that's great and it's a great way to be able to set yourself up to take action if you've got that network who can provide that support for you as mm. well and then finally patience what does patience mean to you I think knowing your self-worth, knowing that you are an expert in what you do, um, you don't have to be so reactive all the time. Just take a step back, evaluate. Yeah. Well, Andrea, I hope that wasn't too painful for you. (laughs) (laughs) It was fantastic talking to you. Oh, thank you for having um, me. And really, I just feel like actually I'd like to have another conversation with you again maybe we can talk again about imposter syndrome and we can get a whole bunch of us who have Mm. experienced that uh, because I think it's really something to speak on but in terms of you and what you're doing and where you're at um, I really celebrate and commend you Uh, so thank you so much for sharing some of your experiences with me and um, people let me know what your thoughts are give Andrea some positive love (laughs) so she doesn't keep feeling like an imposter (laughs) 